I don't know if recording the recruiting podcast is my favorite thing to do of the week now, but my least favorite because the drama that goes on between Newberg and Chris Nee and myself before we uh, actually start recruiting or start the recruiting podcast has been pretty funny the last couple weeks. So a week ago, Newberg couldn't find his headphones. Right now we have him joining in, though. He looks much happier than he did last week, but uh, he's joining in over uh, over FaceTime, so the audio may be a little wonky, um, but I think we got the audio figured out. Josh, can you say hi? Hi, everybody. So Josh is there. Chris, can you say hi? Hello, everyone. I'm Brendan Sinnoh with the Knowles 24-7 podcast. We're talking about recruiting. I'm joined by Chris Nee and Josh Newberg, if you haven't uh, figured that out already. And been a pretty active last week or so for Florida State on the recruiting trail. Uh, Florida State gets a commitment, loses a commitment, both at defensive back, such as life. You gain something, you lose something. Let's start off with what they lost, and then we'll go positive. Isaiah Bolden, uh, the Florida State loses a pretty talented defensive back commit to uh, to Oregon. Uh, he goes to Willie Taggart's staff way over on the other side of the country. He's a, uh, a mid-Florida, kind of central Florida kid. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on the uh, on the decommitment there? Was that something that Florida State was expecting for a while? How much, I guess, does losing him in a vacuum hurt Florida State? Um, well, Josh nailed it. He he flipped the crystal ball on him pretty early that it was going to be Oregon. And, you know, to Isaiah's credit, he didn't play games. He he was up front that he was going to take the visit, at least up front with the media part of us, that he was going to take the visit to Oregon, that the possibility existed he might flip. He took it. He liked it. He flipped. There was no, you know, I'm going to decommit, play this out. He didn't do any of that. He just went ahead and got it done. I don't think it really hurts FSU. You know, he did it early enough that you're able to go figure out what you're going to take in place of that with that number. I personally think Isaiah is more of a safety than a corner. He can get away with being a corner, but after watching him in person in Orlando, I came away thinking he would be a better safety than a corner. And with FSU, you know, that's a position where they're not hurting and they're able to attract really good talent. And, you know, we'll talk about them more, but they went right out, added A.J. Litton in the same time frame and... I'm just not worried about it long term. I don't worry about defensive back recruiting. They've done a phenomenal job at the position. But I, I think Isaiah will do well. I think he handled the process just fine. He's a guy that committed real early. You learn in this that guys that commit early, some are real solid and some really should have never committed early, probably shouldn't have committed early. He's going to play in a program that he likes the head coach. He had a pre existing relationship with the head coach from his USF days, and Isaiah's obviously got a lot of Tampa ties, especially with now being back down there in high school. So I, I I didn't really have an issue with it. You know, some kids decommit and the way they handle it, they kind of look like clowns. You know, I think Vendarius Cowan is one that immediately comes to mind with how he handled it last year, but Bolden wasn't that. Josh, what kind of led you to believe, you know, you flipped that crystal ball a while ago. What, what kind of led you to believe that Bolden maybe wasn't long for, for Florida State and uh, – I guess, what kind of player is Florida State losing out on here? Um, I kind of, I knew he wanted no part of this class, probably dating back to the fall. Um, I think much like DeMarco Artis, he did everything he could to, to remove himself from the class without Florida State doing it for him. Um, I, I flipped my crystal ball in March once, once I had kind of heard some things and you know, really, Florida State never pushed him on the trip to Oregon. Florida State does something that fans need to do more of, which is being patient. We've seen what they recruit in their secondary, and they recruit dogs. And the only the only way to find out a true dog is to get to know him. You can't read the tweets. You can't read interviews. 
things that kids say, you can't take it at face value. So Florida State hung around and hung around. They never said anything to Isaiah Bolden as he searched for another school, basically. They would keep in touch with him, and I'm told that almost every conversation that Isaiah had with the Florida State coaching staff, two things would always be brought up. One was, Coach, how many DBs are you guys bringing in? He always wanted to know how many DBs bringing it to me that's a that's a sign right there this kid ain't gonna cut it at Florida State because as we all know Florida State brings in a massive DB class almost year after year after year and they always seem to have like at least one or two top 10 DBs in that class so the second thing I was told that he always asked was before he got off the phone he'd, he'd say coach do you still have a spot for me at corner and Florida State had never not recruited this kid at corner like Chris said he thinks he ends up in safety I kind of agree with that Florida State didn't really care at this point. They're still almost a year until he signed. So Florida State was like, yeah, we're, we're recruiting you at safety. All right, corner, that's where we're recruiting you at. And those two things, I'm told, kind of rose some red flags. Now, what Florida State does that's different from all the other programs in the country, instead of panicking and maybe kicking them out of the class or worrying about it, they're just going to let it play out. Because like we always say, me and Chris always say on the site, things will work themselves out. The reason this worked itself out is because, you know, this isn't a a slight on him, but Ronald Darby, P.J. Williams, Jalen Ramsey, Tavares McFadden, the list goes on. When they were being recruited by FSU, do you think that every conversation they had with the staff resulted in questions like, how many DBs are you bringing in, and am I going to be a corner? I guarantee you those kids didn't give a damn who else FSU was bringing in. And if they did care, it was the opposite. They probably wanted to bring talent in around them. So Bolden and Florida State would have never fit. I don't think – I'm not saying just in the recruiting process, but even moving on further, I don't think Bolden would have been a fit in Florida State's locker room. So I think they did a great job of letting this thing play out, and they're going to ultimately get guys that fit them better. And I think Bolden is a good player. Um when you ask me what Florida State's losing, they're losing a 6-2 corner, DB. Uh, he's got good speed. He's very raw as a player. He, he doesn't have great competition up there in Wesley Chapel. But um, he's a good player. He's not irreplaceable. Um, he's a guy that Florida State absolutely wanted to sign. But this is just something that probably went down the way it should have. Yeah, and to the kid's credit, he didn't play games. I mean, uh, yeah. too many kids turn this whole thing into a mockery and play it up and love the attention. Isaiah didn't do that. Isaiah, he, he figured out there was another school he really liked, he really wanted to look at. There was a relationship there, and he went and he followed it, and he did it. And when he knew, he did it. He had a clearly a strong suspicion he was going to go to Oregon before he took the visit. But he allowed himself the patience to take the visit, make sure it was right, make sure the distance wasn't going to be an issue, as we've seen with guys in the past. You know, Trey McKitty is a good example of that. Trey, the distance became a big factor for him down the stretch last year with Oregon. Um, yeah, and, and I spoke to somebody, uh, a coach outside of USF, uh, outside of FSU, that does not believe that Isaiah Bolden is going to end up signing with Oregon based on some comments from his father uh, who played for the Bucks. So, it, like Chris said, sometimes these kids commit to Oregon early, but when a pen's about to hit paper and they realize that they're about to move across the country for the next four years and maybe see their family two or three times a season, plans change. So we'll see if Isaiah Bold sticks to Oregon or if he flips again. But either way, I don't think, you know, after this podcast, I don't think we're going to be talking about Isaiah Bolden with FSU again. Yeah, I mean, 
FSU, Charles went by to see him before he flipped to Oregon. Um, I think it was Wednesday before he left for the trip on Thursday or Friday. They did their recruiting of him. They kept up with him. It wasn't one of these things where they just pushed him out. They allowed it to play itself out, and I don't think they have any desperation with regards to him. They're going to go find another guy at that position that they love just as much, maybe more, and they're going to go after him. And truthfully, I you know, I don't look at the DB class and go, man, they gotta they got to hit numbers. they got to get guys this year. It's kind of like, hey, we're just going to collect really freaking good players that can play defensive back. And that's a good transition for AJ Litton. Going off that, like, why would a player care about? I mean, Florida State won the depth at, at defensive back. Like, that's a position where you can come in and play in sub packages and play right away. And it's also a position where Florida State has shown they want guys who can play safety or cornerback. Like, it's, it's a weird, two weird things to get hung up on. So, going to Josh's point, like, that's maybe for the best if Florida State kind of parted ways or he parted ways with Florida State because maybe that, that he wasn't having a great grasp of how Florida State really really does things on defense. Not everybody's built for this, Brendan. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not built for this. You guys are way above my head right now. Let's transfer to A.J. Litton. Like Chris said, uh, five-star cornerback recruit. Like I said, in life, sometimes you, uh, you lose something and something else you gain it, and that's kind of how it works. A five-star cornerback uh, from the, from the uh, Maryland area, Super talented, great athlete, 4'4 kid, 40-inch vertical. Uh, just how good can he be, and how does Florida State view him, Josh? Well, you already told us. He's Sorry. <laughs> You're assuming that people uh, read read my article. That doesn't always happen. I read it. Thank you. I read it. What would you uh, think I think of it? You know, I think he's great. Um, he's a guy that Florida State hopped on early. They've done a good job with him. Um it's just Odell's M.O. Hop on these DMV kids early, build that relationship, and then get them committed when when it's time. And uh, there is nothing to the timing of this. Um, like you said, or like Chris said, Charles Kelly went by Isaiah Bolden's school on Friday or Thursday, a couple days before he decommitted. Um, Charles actually didn't even bring up the fact that Isaiah was going to Oregon. He, he was fully content with that, letting it play out on its own. Um, so a lot of people might see it as like, you know, AJ jumped in the boat because they knew they were leaving. I just think it was time. Uh, Lighten's not one of these guys that, that really played up his recruitment a whole lot. He did the top five. I mean, and that was <laughs> top five. That was fun. You know, nobody really bought it. So a couple days later, he, he pulled the trigger and committed. Um, it's a big pickup. You know, it, it really sets the tone. For the defensive back class now, I think they're going to continue. You, you got Asante Samuel, you got AJ Lighton, and now you just go after the big dogs. I think they got probably two to three more spots. Um, we're going. We're going after the DB board. Backboard. You're jumping the gun, Newberg. We're going on the DB board right after this, so oh. you're getting antsy okay. here. Um, yeah, we're we're moving on, man. You guys are moving too fast for me, Chris. What are what are your thoughts on like what exactly? What kind of prospect is Florida State getting? Is he a corner? Is he a safety with Letton? How do you view him? Yes. <laughs> he can play corner. corner. He can, he can yeah, play I safety. Think I think he's a corner all the way. Like, mm-hmm. if you ask me his primary spot, I think he's a corner. I think he could also play star. He's freakishly athletic, very quick, very fast kid, very quick twitch in every which way, both with limbs and with his legs. And he just gets after it, and he's competitive as all hell, which is, you know, at that position, you want that. 
he reminds me in some ways of Levante Taylor. Mm-hmm. A lot of similar traits in the way they conduct themselves. Now, Levante is going to squawk a bit more. Levante is going to run his lips and say some words. AJ's a little bit more reserved from a vocal standpoint. But on the field, the way they compete, the way they play the game, I find the two very similar. I think he's a heck of a player. I think he knew in February when he came down here with mom and dad that this was definitely the place for him. He's always liked FSU. He just has kind of a natural fandom of FSU. So I think he's a guy that's going to be ultra productive, and I think he's a great compliment to Samuel in the class and then, you know, jump ahead, chasing a guy like Sertain who's kind of the physical freak. You know, I, I think they have a chance to really put together another pretty splendid, outstanding defensive back class. Have you guys seen in, like, any of the opening, you know, tryouts or anything? Like, how does he do against top-end competition? Cause, uh, the one thing with him when I was watching, you know, going through all the different, you know, highlight tapes and cut-ups of him and stuff, it was almost impossible to tell whether he was just that much better than the competition he was going against or whether, like, just the competition was just that terrible, like, whether he was elite. And I think the answer is somewhere in between. But he was returning, you know, returning punt returns for, for touchdowns off of botched punts from 250-pound offensive linemen that, that were punting and intercepting uh, passes from guys wearing double zero jersey numbers. Like, it was just really tough to really tell what, what he was. Yeah, outside of game film, seeing a video of him competing at the opening regionals both last year and this year, didn't get to see him in person. I'll see him at the opening here over the summer because mm-hmm. he's been invited. But uh, the thing that impresses me is that he's got the athleticism to match up with anybody, but he also kind of controls his speed very well. He understands when to, you know, go at his top speed, when to kind of slow down, when to kind of tease people into things. And he's really athletic. His ability to get off the ground, be quick twitch, get a hand in front of the ball. He's real good in those departments. I think he's a guy that matches up really well. You know, if he's facing a really tall receiver, he has a vertical that allows him to go up and kind of compete for the ball at the apex. I I think he's a really complete guy. You, you summed it up pretty well with the title of the article, which people should go read, is that there isn't much of a bust factor with the guy. Even if he doesn't really get any better, doesn't develop into a different player at the next level, the ability and skills he already possesses and his understanding of how to play the position has set him up to be a very productive player, very good player, with a value in a lot of different ways. He's not solely a guy that can only play one spot in the secondary. He can play multiple spots. You can also use him on special teams, both as a return man and in coverage. I think there's just a lot of value to the guy as a part of your roster. Josh, would you like to talk about the defensive backboard now? Uh, I think it's loaded. I think they're going to have pretty much an open tryout this summer to fill out those extra spot, those couple spots. Um, as I said before, it's just, it's a loaded class. I think there's a lot of guys, there's guys that, you know, Florida State's not going to take that could play there. Um, there's just not enough room. Florida State's sitting in a great spot. I think even in the summer, we might find a kid from South Georgia or South Alabama that kind of came out of the woodwork and showed up at a camp that they fall in love with and is immediately a take. So like Chris said, I'm not worried about DB recruiting. It's more for us. It's just, we're sitting back and we're just covering the news. We're just seeing who they end up going after, who they prioritize. I think there's a lot of options on the board and, uh, Sertain's absolutely the number one target just because he's built a little bit differently. and He stands out among you know, he's the elite of the elite DBs in this class. Uh, but the rest, I think, are very good, and FSU would be happy with a number of them. Damn it, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, man. Coffee cups flying around the room. You drink the coffee and you get jittery, and then you drop the coffee cup is how that, that yeah. works. Uh, Josh, with the defensive backs, and you, it's a really good point. Like, the 
Florida State, the way it recruits the position, like it's going after its alpha dogs right now, and it's got a couple of guys like a certain kind of still up at the top of the board. But we've seen in the past, so a couple years ago, Kyle Myers comes to camp and was a good prospect, but not really like a super household name. And, you know, that comes out from New Orleans last year, Ontario, Ontario Wilson. Wilson. So it's almost like clockwork at Florida State will take one of these kind of under-the-radar guys. But for people that aren't following it, like, super intricately, like, how many defensive backs do you think Florida State has room for, Josh? How many? Think, what what kind of defensive backs, five too? Six, five or six total most, in the class? And they have two committed currently. Mm-hmm. Are they looking for, like, a bigger corner? Are they looking for safety still? Like, what, what do you think the – or yeah, do they not I even have prototypes? They got some options at safety. Um, Jalen Armour Davis is one of them. You know, th- uh, there's a few guys that actually, you know, Jalen can play both corner and safety. Yeah. Um, so they recruit a lot of guys like that. So it's kind of hard to to absolutely pinpoint a guy to like one position in their defensive backfield. Um, but yeah, they'll you know they'll 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 grab some guys that fit both molds. Um, we see it every year. You know, Nadab Joseph, he's a good example. He's currently committed to LSU, but he camped at FSU last summer. He's coming back to camp again. He's six foot one and a half. Nadab could play corner, Nadab could play safety. My gut says if they did land a guy like like Joseph that he would end up at safety, but you know, you can't you can't really pinpoint it into one position. Yeah, I mean right now I think Sertain, Armor Davis, Christian Tut. Maybe Kyler and McMichael are the guys that if they called today and said, hey, I want to join the class, they'd be like, gung-ho, let's go. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Cameron Jonas, a good player from West Palm Beach, Dwyer, has an offer, came up for a junior day. They didn't even have a meet with Jimbo, and I think part of that is we're just not ready to take him. Jamie and Sherwood. Jamie and Sherwood. Might be a linebacker, might be a safety, but definitely a guy that could play safety, kind of that uh, dime linebacker, mm-hmm. dime safety position FSU uses to money. some degree. Yeah, with the money roll. He could play that, but they didn't have him meet with Jimbo. So they're in no rush. Mm-hmm. The schools love stockpiling commitments in the summer. FSU likes kind of putting themselves in a good position with good players and waiting to see how it all plays out and then finishing strong. Mm-hmm. It's been their MO. It's what they do. And in the secondary, they can certainly afford to do it because they're not in a dire position where there's major needs. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need to continue to accumulate talent at a high level as they've done at that position but they're able to play the long game and not get obsessed with the short game. Mm-hmm. They could have six defensive back commitments of high-quality level sure. right now today if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. They don't want that. That's not how they operate. They're, they're going to wait to roll them out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they could have, they could have uh, 15 commitments overall right now if they wanted to, not just loading up at the DB board. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of guys that they're kind of keeping at an arm's length while they're still recruiting them and keeping them warm. They're also making sure that it doesn't get to the point where they're trying to commit. So... Like Chris said, they kind of play this, they kind of teeter on, on the fence a little bit through the spring and even into the summer. And once the camps are over, we have a much better a much better gauge of the order of prospects, meaning like who's the real true top target at this position. Because right now, I just feel like I don't like to say who's the true top target. Outside of a guy like Sertain at that position, you just got a lot of guys that they really like. Yeah. And they're all in this same group. And that's the way that they view it, so that's the way that I view it. And I know fans have a hard time, and they always want to know who's one. Okay, if he's one, then who's two, three, four, and five? It's like, it, 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 it's not, that's not how it's viewed right now. If you truly want to know who FSU wants, look at who they bring in on official visits. Mm-hmm. Their hit rate for official visitors is very high, and there's a reason for that. They don't screw around with kids that they don't think they 
truly have a shot with or they don't truly want. They want, yeah. If they want, yeah, they're going to bring you in for an official. I mean, you know. And usually by the end of the summer, you have a good idea of who about 75% of the official visitors are going to be. They're going to sneak a couple surprises in there, a couple plan Bs that happen because, you know, a guy they felt good about goes elsewhere. But in general, you've got three-quarters of the board is really solidified by the time September 1st hits the calendar. And if there's not a huge discrepancy with the defensive back you know, board, if, if there's guys that are all kind of comparable and you're talking about yeah, outside of certain, it's you know he's one, and then everyone's two, two A, two B, two. Like you know, I think sometimes you got to look at recruiting as you know when you're talking about the business side of it. Like there are you know assets of what you're trying to you know you have scholarships you can offer. You only have so many that you can offer guys that you can take. You can offer unlimited, but you can only take so many. But then time is an asset too. You can only spend so much time recruiting kids, uh, resources in that way. So you're spending your time visiting other positions outside of defensive back or going heavy on guys outside of that position because yeah. you you have so many different options there. It's a good place for Florida State to be. And you do it with patience sometimes because, like, take Sertain, for example. It's basically at the top an FSU-LSU battle. Ohio State and others are in there, but it's basically FSU-LSU. If you had to bet me $100 right now, which one of those two teams has a better season? You're putting on, on who has a better season? Yeah. Well, you would, uh, history would say Florida State. Right. Yeah. I mean, LSU's season. got Ed Orgeron as a head coach. Let's see how that plays out. We know what Jimbo Fisher can do as a head coach. We've seen what Ed Orgeron tried to do as a head coach. So you allow it to play out. You know, kids love a winner. You can recruit when you're not a winner. Mm-hmm. Plenty of schools do it effectively. Mm-hmm. But if you're really good, if you're competing for the playoffs at a high level, I mean, look at Clemson. They win a national title, and their recruiting goes from being really good to incredibly, insanely great, where they're going to have to turn around, turn away great players because they have a small class. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you play with the patience in that sense because the other team's going to almost recruit themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. And put you in a better position. I think FSU is comfortable with that. FSU is never in a rush to add kids to their commitment list. Truthfully, I think they probably have the discussion more often of, damn it, we need to slow down mm-hmm. instead of, hey, why aren't we getting kids? Jimbo Fisher's personality is very you know, bravado, confidence, and that kind of reflects recruiting because he feels like his team's always in it. There's no need to push things or rush things. But they build relationships. FSU's recruiting is entirely based off of relationships. If a kid's not staying in regular contact with FSU, they understand that the writing is on the wall. Mm -hmm. And they get it quickly. Um, Let's let's go from defensive backs. A couple of recruiting tidbits real quick, and then we'll take some questions to kind of wrap up this episode. Uh, Micah Parsons, defensive end, uh, pretty high target for Florida State, was at Penn State and decommitted. Uh, just kind of your guys' thought on what that means for Florida State and, and where they are in the picture for, for Parsons. Josh, Josh is uh, – Sure. Chris is pointing at – he's giving you the finger guns. Chris, Chris, I thought Chris was on a roll. Uh, <laughs> I'm, again, uh, I think Micah is a guy that I've talked about a lot in – with FSU because they've stayed in regular contact. FSU has a good relationship with both Micah and his family and his coach. Um, so there's really three points of contact that have been consistent throughout the entire offseason. However, Micah has not taken a visit. He has been to Ohio State, I believe, at least once, maybe twice. And now that he's opened up his recruitment, he's going to take some more visits. So he continues to tell the FSU staff, uh, that he's going to visit this summer. I'm not skeptical yet on that, although the visit hasn't been set. I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode. Um, I'm I'm not sure Florida – you know, I always thought Florida State was right there 
with Ohio State. I'm not convinced of that just yet. I need to see this visit being taken. There's been just so much talk about him coming in at some point, and it hasn't happened. So it, so I just want to see him come in for a visit before I really buy into this recruitment to FSU. Yeah, Luke Stampini, friend of the program, but most of our listeners hate him. Um, he spoke to Micah at the Nike opening New Jersey over the pa- this past weekend, and FSU was mentioned as a school he would like to visit, but with no specific date. Now, he did, m- did mention, I believe, June 10th or so, for taking a visit to Gainesville. If he's coming down to Gainesville around that time of year, that sets up well for coming over to FSU around the first Jimbo Fisher camp. So that's a possibility. I know the May uh, next week, basically, when Taraja Mitchell is supposed to come in, is a time period where they were trying to get him in. I don't see that happening. The calendar's gotten a little too tight for that to probably come through at this point. But you get him on campus, you take a big swing, you see what you can do. It's kind of like Kando last year to me, where, you know, when he shows up once or twice, I'll start believing. At this point, I just know FSU's trying to make an effort. They think he's arguably the best defensive end in the country. They value him as such. Brad Lawwing's never one to not play the long game. He's always going to work on relationships, recruiting a kid long term. But right now, I think that kid's going to go to Ohio State. You know, if he was committed today, I think it's certainly the Buckeyes. But I think he's going to let it play out to at least the All-Star game. So that buys, you know, basically five months at this point, six months, where you can try to get in the game, get a couple visits, those things happen, you have a shot. But, you know, it's the infancy stage for FSU. The communication exists. Now we need something legitimate and real, such as a visit here. Yeah, and to Chris's point, I had a conversation uh, with somebody close to his recruitment yesterday that told me this isn't, going to be a quick decision so Florida State's not panicking and their feeling is we can get them on campus this summer we can get them on campus for an official we're fine like that's all they want they know that the season they're going to have a great season on defense and like we've seen in the past guys that have no interest in Florida State seemingly throughout the offseason all of a sudden have a ton of interest after Florida State does what they do on the, on the field so the staff is being patient with this one and um it's not something that we expect to end this summer. Yeah, and a kid like that, if he travels to your school in the summer, he's usually coming for days, not for hours mm-hmm. or minutes. So you get him in, you know, say he comes to Gainesville June 10th, leaves Gainesville the 11th or 12th, comes to FSU and he's there, you know, two, three days. Well, you can't, you know, wine and dine him and pay for everything like an official visit. You can treat every part of that visit outside of that facet as an official visit. You show them the nightlife, let them go out with players, spend time with players. You sit them in the film room, have them sit down one-on-one with position coach, recruiting coach, head coach, have them meet the support staff, go through academics, get mom and dad on campus, show them the housing, show them how everything's together. You know, you put on the complete package, you're in the game. And when that kid decides on five officials, you probably put yourself in position to get one of those five. So it's a matter of the big leap has to happen, but at this point I would describe FSU as – into discussion, but not thoroughly in the game. Play, playing the long game is kind of Florida State's strategy here, and and, yeah. and this is kind of seems like it's a case where the longer the recruitment goes, the better for a school like Florida State that's trying to, like you said, Chris, uh, it's in the infancy stages and trying to kind of get in the mix here. FSU has a lot of what I would describe as sort of redneck coaches on their staff, <laughs> yeah. guys that like fishing. And the way they recruit is kind of like fishing. They're going to put the bob in the water with the bait, and they're going to sit and wait. But if a fish comes and bites that, they're going to try to reel it in. It's a great analogy. Chris. Thanks, man. Really, we, we can really, move on now. <laughs> that part was brought to us by Bass Pro. 
Yeah, after we took a dump on uh, Comcast in our previous podcast, we needed a new sponsorship. All right, real quick, uh, and this is uh, before we get to the questions, and almost every question is about Justin, <laughs> Justin Fields at quarterback. So let's talk about, though, uh, where Florida State kind of quarterback recruitment is, kind of the guys that the staff is taking a look at during during the spring evaluation process. Uh, Jaren, was it Jaron Williams is the name yeah. that's kind of emerged? Uh, Chris, can you kind of touch base on, on who's in the mix right now, what Florida State's doing at the position? Well, basically what Randy Sanders has done this week is gone out and seen a lot of quarterbacks. That includes 18, 19, 20 kids. They offered a 20, 20 kid in Arizona last night, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, he went and saw Justin Fields. He went and saw Jaron Williams. Those visits happened. I believe both of them happened on Tuesday. I think they saw Fields at the early part of the school day, and then they saw Williams during a weight training session at the school, if I remember correctly. They'll go back and see them again later in the spring, probably for their spring games or competition portion. Mm-hmm. Essentially an athletic visit. The first visit was more so an a- academic visit, you know, dropping in. Um, the quarterback scenario basically boils down to who shows up in the summer. Williams needs to show up and throw. Fields just needs to show up. You know, if they get a couple guys on campus, I think they'll kind of go from there. And, you know, it still is a matter of do they have to take an 18 do they simply go and try to wrap up Ganell in 19 and go there? You know, it, there's a lot of unknowns with that position. But Jaron Williams backed off the Kentucky pledge. They're still in the mix. But FSU's certainly in the mix. Georgia, Auburn have recently jumped in. Florida's in the mix. But Florida's really focusing heavily on Justin Fields. I think they feel like they have the best shot of flipping, flipping Fields right now from Penn State of anybody. Florida, that is. Um, so they just kind of have to let it play out. But... Quarterback recruiting is one of those things, and we've talked about it before. It kind of hits hyper speed. Made a fourth be with you on uh, June and July. It's a Star Wars joke. I know. I get it. Yeah, I'm not even a nerd well, in that <laughs> sense. But uh, June and July is when it kind of hits hyper speed, and you know when things start happening and the dominoes start falling, it's going to happen quick. So I think FSU really needs to get kids in in June, especially the two Georgia boys. Josh, what are your thoughts on the recruiting the recruiting board? At quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with Chris. No. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, I really am with Chris. Um, I don't, again, I think it's a situation where we don't really know what we got on the QB board until the summer. Of course, we're going to cover it now. We, we know who the targets are at this point. Like Chris said, he ran, ran them all down. I also expect um, Randy Sanders to visit Emory Jones possibly today or tomorrow. He's another. He's committed to Ohio State. He's another good name on the board. Um, but like I've said, time and again, we didn't even know who James Blackman was at this time last year, and Florida State fans are all excited about him. So I think um, I think they're identifying targets. I wrote the Jaron Williams story the other day, and a specific question was asked to him: Do you know where you stand on Florida State's quarterback board? And he said. Coach Sanders hasn't told him exactly where he is, and he said this. He said, but look at how many Florida State quarterback, how many quarterbacks Florida State has offered. To him, mm-hmm. that means something that he has an offer, which yeah. it should. Yeah. And, and again, these guys with offers are just all in this mix where FSU would be happy with any of them. There's only about four or five with offers. So if any of those guys wanted to commit at this point, they would, they would be taken not ready to commit. And Jaron Williams said, I'm coming to camp this summer to throw for coach Fisher. He's like, I love how he pushes his guys. I love what he gets out of his quarterback. So you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks flocking to, to Florida state. It almost has this vibe of, of guys like trying out. 
uh, when we're out there covering it. It's almost like Fisher's out there and he's just going to handpick his guy based on what he sees during these three days of camp or six days of camp, three in June, three in July. So we'll have ample opportunity to talk about the QB board more in depth and in terms of like who's our number one guy on the board after spring, after summer practice. Yeah, and one thing, one thing to add on that, I think a guy like Williams doesn't scare off a guy like Gunnell. I think a guy like Fields alters that situation more mm-hmm. so. And that's not really well, saying... Gunnell's, the Gunnells have this thing where they don't want to come in after an elite quarterback. Not, not a competition, but just something where it's a business decision. Yeah. And you don't want to walk in where you have you know four elite quarterbacks. Somebody's going to be the odd man out. Um but the Gunnells are the one that are determining who's an elite quarterback. It's it's about who's an elite quarterback in their own mind. Yeah. Uh, I don't see, you know, uh, they're at Texas A&M. Who's committed there, Chris? To A&M, uh, Fortin, Cade Fortin. Cade Fortin. They're not afraid of Fortin. Fortin's a four-star quarterback. Um, you know, they have no issue. That's just another name on the roster to them. Now, if Justin Fields were to commit to A&M or FSU, you know, that might change something. I know that they look at him as an elite-type quarterback. So it doesn't really matter who Florida State lands based on 24-7 sports rankings. The Gunnells have their own rankings in their head on, on guys that matter. Well, since we're talking about quarterbacks, I feel like every single question we've gotten has some sort of element to uh, Justin Fields and the quarterback position so and I know we've talked about him before but obviously it's a hot button topic something our readers want to hear about um so let's go yeah reader uh, it's KTB FSU I'm so good at reading the names I really do a great job of that I think a discussion about UF's recruitment of fields and which school is in it more uh, maybe just in general guys we'll start with you Josh what what where fields is right now in his recruiting process Who's in the mix is Florida, Florida State. Who else is kind of in it for him at, at this moment? Um, Florida, Florida State. Uh, who else is in it, Chris? Who are the main players? Uh, Florida, Florida State. Obviously, Penn State, where he's committed to. Georgia has jumped into the mix somewhat, and I know they're trying to get a couple quarterbacks on campus. They're kind of in a similar boat as FSU with regards to recruiting quarterbacks right now. Um, those really are main ones. The thing with Fields is that he doesn't – show himself as very open. He he doesn't speak on the subject a whole heck of a lot, but he's, he's open. Right, he's open, but he's pretty consistent that I'm committed, but I'm evaluating options because I feel like I just need to do that with this process. Yeah, but, but we're not talking about what he's saying. I mean, he's going to say the right thing. Right. He's committed to his school. He's very respectful of his commitment too. So, I mean, beyond that, he's open. Um, I've been doing some digging and talking to some people on all sides of this, and – I kind of thought Florida was in it more than people were giving the Gators credit a couple weeks ago. And now if I was to put in a crystal ball foot pick from Penn State, it would be Florida. I mean, based on the things that I've been hearing and and who I've been talking to, uh, I think he does flip from Penn State regardless. Um, I don't think he does it anytime soon based on what I've been told. And I, if he were to do it today, I think it would be Florida. That being said, Florida State's absolutely one of the teams in the mix. He'll be back this summer, and they'll have a shot to get back in it. He's not committing today, but as of today, I, I, I would put my crystal ball in Florida. 
Breaking news: Josh Newberg switch, uh, switches his crystal ball prediction from uh, Penn no, State. I don't have to a crystal ball. Oh in well, training. never mind. I was being a smartass, anyways. Be because it would be my first one. Still be breaking. Still big news. People care, especially LSU fans really care about where your crystal ball people. Quarterbacks, case. five for five. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, just to add on Fields, I, I, he's a recruitment that I feel like. I feel like when it does happen, it's going to happen swiftly, but I don't feel like it's in a rush to happen. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best way of describing it. Makes sense. If he is going to flip, he's going to take a visit somewhere, spend multiple days, go home, mull it over with mom and dad, and do it. Mm-hmm. He's not going to drag this process out. I think when he does take visits, he's going to try to do them pretty much consecutively. You know, if he can fit into camp schedules, do like, you know, maybe Georgia, FSU, Florida maybe get back to Penn State and then decide. Mm-hmm. Do that all in June or do that all in July. I don't know if he has baseball in the summer months that will conflict with some of that. Um, I know he plays baseball with his high school. He just wrapped up his season, I believe. So I think when it does happen, it's going to happen quickly. But at this point, I mean, really his interaction with FSU is communication with the coaching staff and about a 40-minute visit on campus. Mm-hmm. That's the extent of it. So I think speaking on it from an FSU perspective, it's, you know, he needs to show up again. Like it, literally nothing else about his recruitment with FSU matters until he steps foot in Tallahassee again, mm-hmm. hopefully for more than 45 minutes. And like you said, both of you guys, it's kind of hard to get a, a gauge on him yeah. too because he's kind of – I agree with Josh though that Florida's a school that's positioned himself mm-hmm. as the best to flip him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think they've been in a little bit longer than most. I think the interaction is more active than anybody else. I think the back and forth is more active. And it, it's going to be really interesting. For a kid from that area of the country who's wanted by as many schools immediately around that area to spurn them and go to Penn State, it's kind of unheard of. So, you know, I, I'm not as convinced he flips for sure. I know Josh is more so than I am. But I think it's difficult for him to stick with the Nittany Lions. Well, and why, if you're him, would you not want to go to the University of Florida with all the great offensive talent they've assembled and just the strong pedigree of, of that coaching staff to turn out well, really dynamic yeah, quarterbacks? But every guy on earth who's <laughs> supremely talented and an elite player thinks they can change it all. Mm-hmm. So there's something to that. And a really good quarterback, a quarterback of his caliber, if he commits in the months of June or July, mm-hmm. you can attract talent around you. You're going to be more appealing to good offensive linemen. Receivers are going to want to come play with you. You know, you're probably going to be able to get a good running back to be in your backfield. All of a sudden, it's a little bit more of a, an appealing offense. You know, a lot of times you'll hear receivers say it. Um, there's somebody we're dealing with currently. I'm forgetting which one. I think it's, it's Justin Ross. Justin Ross regularly says when he looks at these schools, the number one thing he's looking at is who the hell is going to throw him the ball. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at the current quarterback and the quarterbacks he would play with. Mm-hmm. And, like, he went to Clemson, and because of their very good quarterback situation, you know, post Deshaun with Hunter and other guys like that, they immediately jumped into the thick of it with mm-hmm. the BMS, the Auburns, the FSUs that were already heavily in on it with him. So I, I think, you know, a quarterback can kind of be a monumental chess piece in the game of recruiting who can really make a lot of things go your way. Is that a Frappuccino that you're drinking on the other end of here, Josh? No, nah, man, that's the cold brew. Oh, okay. And you got Chris dropping his coffee. You guys are very distracting with your coffee today. Um, Going off of what Chris said, have some energy for this pot. They drug test us. This is as good as we can do. Coffee is the only thing that keeps us going. Shit, they drug test oh, really? us. Really? <laughs> I thought they drug test us to make sure we were doing enough drugs. <laughs> I thought it was the other way around. They want cocaine so we could turn out a lot of bolts per day. I was scolded when I don't have drugs. In my I think Newberg has a whizinator. <laughs> 
Notice, notice uh, there's not a quick denial to that and just a... I've never taken a drug test in my life. What? Two things I've never done in my, in my professional life. I've never used a resume, and I've never taken a drug test. If you never pissed in the cup, man, you haven't lived. That's all I have to say. Um, <laughs> all right, so, so Chris was t- talking about the importance of quarterback recruiting in, in this question here. Again, we're going on fields. I think we've kind of touched a, a, a bit of a urgency with the fan base and the need for a quarterback. Uh, this is FSU Bone. It's a good question. It's how important is getting fields this cycle for the program, given that Clemson is about to take a generational type of talent quarterback going off of a generational talent quarterback. And this guy freaks out about everything. So, of course, for him, it's going to be a big issue. But listen, I can't say that until after the summer. Like, fields might not even be the number one target for FSU, but... Man, this dude likes to freak out about everything. I so, think that's a good question, but I'm really neurotic too. So I think being freaked out is kind of a good it thing. It is a good question. It goes back to our discussion of quarterbacks help you recruit out of positions. But Josh is also right. How many generational type talents have we seen that turned out to be complete shit? Um, who's the kid that ended up at Cincinnati who went to Notre Dame? Keel or whatever. Yeah, right? I'm just Gun- saying it's Gunner premature Keel. to say for now. I mean, I'm just saying it's premature to say for now because they, Jimbo might fall in love with the quarterback in, on June 15th right. and all of a sudden, you know, yeah. he's the guy. Well, so the, the truth we of this question. the program now because like Crystal Ball fields to UF? The truth of this question is it's what we were discussing in the other podcast with receivers. When, when your neighbors are doing really good, yeah. you know, the UFs, the Clemsons, when they're kneeling something or you perceive that they're kneeling it, mm-hmm. and Clemson in this case is perceived to be kneeling quarterback recruiting, which I would agree with that assessment, all of a sudden it becomes a much bigger issue for you because mm-hmm. you really worry about it. FSU needs to get good quarterbacks yeah. that can replace the current quarterback they have. Mm-hmm. And Francois is here this year, and I think it's pretty safe bet he's here next year. Probably, and the year yeah. after that, it's not out of question. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. We obviously think we have him for this year and next year. Mm-hmm. So the truth is you need to have the guy who's going to be the guy mm-hmm. in three seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, 20, what, 19? Yes, 19, maybe 2020. Mm-hmm. So whether that's got, that guy is in this class or next class or that guy's already on campus, you just got to find that guy. Mm-hmm. It's why you get five or six of them and you just figure it out. And you see who you have. You, yep. you know, for every guy who was supposed to be two-time Heisman winners like Ron Paulus, that's a Beano Cook shout-out for the older people in the audience. What the hell are you or talking about? Ron Paulus was supposed to win two Heismans, according to Beano Cook. I don't know who any of these people Beano are. Beano Cook is a former ESPN analyst. He was basically the fat version of Paul Feinbaum, Sounds but he just fat. talked about Notre who Dame. Who names their kid Beano? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he owned the company, Beano. Imagine how rich he is. But he, he literally... <laughs> He stated definitively that Ron Paulus wouldn't win just one Heisman. He would win two. And some of it was caricature and having fun with the situation. But he legitimately thought Ron Paulus was the best thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. Ron Paulus was a mediocre quarterback for Notre Dame. Gunnar Kill was a guy that everybody held as the next great quarterback. He's going to be great. And I think he ended up going to three colleges mm-hmm. and never really was that good. So quarterbacks are insanely difficult to pick. Mm-hmm. For every guy that turns out to be as good as you thought, Jameis Winston, and some people undervalued him in the process – Hey, 247. You know, for every guy like that that does kneel it, there's a guy who's a middle-of-the-road mediocre quarterback mm-hmm. who turns out to be really damn good. Mm-hmm. And for every great one who turns out bad, you know, you have the inverse. So FSU needs to keep recruiting the quarterback position. In 2018, the whole situation changed with Malik Henry flaming out. Yeah. We wouldn't be having a discussion about quarterbacks right now if Malik Henry was on campus straight and focused. None of this would matter. And 
with quarterback recruiting, you're doing it months and years in advance. So all of a sudden, your guy flames out, and you're like, oh, hell, we might have to go get a 2018 guy. Mm -hmm. You're six to 12 months behind that starting point you usually would take with recruiting Mm -hmm. that class. So 18 to me is almost an anomaly. If they end up with a really good one, well, that's awesome. That's going to help them. But I don't think it's a necessity. I think it's a necessity in the coming years that they nail it. And I think I'm a big believer that 2019 has that kid. Mm-hmm. So I feel like 18 is almost a luxury for them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the question that we got, like, it's it not just Fields. It's whoever that, that dynamic quarterback is. It, Cause there's, it has to happen at some point. Yeah. I don't know if it has to happen in the next three months or even in the next eight months in this cycle. Mm-hmm. It just has to happen in the general future, mm-hmm. in the next 18 to 24 months, they have to find that guy. Yeah, because you have Francois, like you said, for at least another year, and you would imagine um, Jimbo recently said he thought Francois will be an early draft pick when, whenever that day comes, but there's still a lot to his game that he needs. I don't yeah. see him as being a, a three-year-and-done kind of guy. He's got to play for you know, till his redshirt junior and season to have a chance at if, that. Probably. If he's a three-year-and-done guy, That's a good thing. recruiting quarterbacks isn't going to be an issue because yeah. you just produced a guy who's probably a number one first-round draft yeah. pick who's damn good at the position, and all of a sudden, oh, man, he's had him and Jameis over mm-hmm. the last couple of years. I definitely want to go play there. So it takes care of itself. It, the one thing I'll say is, is a need for an elite quarterback recruit, and like you say, Chris, it doesn't have to happen now necessarily. There's, and to answer the question, I don't think there's just a sense of panic at Florida State at all internally. Uh, but you look at the history of Jimbo Fisher, his track record, like he, I mean, the elite quarterback prospects are the ones who have become elite quarterbacks for him. E.J. Manuel, yeah. a really, really, really good college quarterback. Jameis Winston, obviously a prodigy. Uh, and Francois is his next kind of protege that, that's going to be someone that, that could be pretty special. And those are all the blue chip guys. The ones who weren't the blue chippers are the ones who have kind of fizzled out, whether it's you know, the ranking system, the offers, the guys who have been the best under Jimbo Fisher have been the ones that have been reflected in both the evaluation circles and the offer circles. Plus that position, if you have five good ones on campus one year, you ain't going to have five next year. And that's the attrition Three or four of them are going to leave because they want to go play. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tough position to consistently be at an extremely high level at. It's mm-hmm. just... It, kids aren't patient in the college game to sit. And mm-hmm. I don't blame them because you can go play as a freshman or sophomore at some schools, or you can immediately go plug and play as a latter part of your career. Nate Peterman's an example of that. Mm-hmm. And go get yourself drafted. And, yep. hey, go chase that money. I got no bones with that. But it's not a position where it's just like you click your fingers and you automatically year in, year out, you're going to have an except, an exceptional quarterback. Clemson's going from having Deshaun Watson, who won a national title for them, mm-hmm. and put him in an extremely good position. And we knew he was good the last two and a half, mm-hmm. three seasons. To we think they have really good guys on campus, mm-hmm. but you don't truly know till the bullets start yep. flying. Yeah, and my point to that question was more just putting all your eggs in the Fields basket and saying, "What does this mean for the program if they don't land Fields?" My point was. Yeah, Fields is a guy that they like a whole lot now, but we've seen things change over the course of the spring and summer, and I might be able to definitively say after spring that, yeah, Fields is is looking like the number one prospect on the board, but until then, I don't think you can can say if they don't don't land Fields, it's going to set the program back or it's an issue for the program because they might end up liking somebody else a whole lot more than Fields by the time summer's over so mm-hmm. i want to see who that guy is whether it's fields or if it's somebody else before i freak out on whether or not he's coming to penn state or uf or fsu all right last last question here and then we'll kind of wrap things up is from uh, I gotta go eat lunch. it is almost that time 
I'm going to go to five guys after this. Uh, Nola Kiefer asks, is FSU having some kids hold off on uh, committing to build momentum during a few of these summer camps? Uh, you guys both yeah. kind of talked about this. But, yeah, so what is FSU's r- summer recruiting strategy? Not, see, this is another thing fans like to do. They like to think that, like, Jimbo Fisher has six silent commits in his pocket and he's going to strategically drop them at points to, uh, to make create momentum. That's not the case. Like we said before, they're holding off on some guys that maybe they could push for and they know they could get commitments from, not because they want to create drama or momentum, just because they want to be sure they're getting the right players. I think Jimbo Fisher and the staff put way too much time and effort into just getting the right guys and not into the whole smoke and mirrors of momentum. And, you know, that, that stuff all works itself out. Momentum matters the first Wednesday in February or when kids are early and all. That's the only time it truly matters. You can have all the momentum in the world in the summer and have 25 commitments, but if you go out and you go four and eight and you're not very good, I I just love how I randomly pick four and eight, by the way. Is that that making fun of our. No, no, it's just, it's a number that pops in my head for whatever reason. God, how shitty Um, do you have to be to go four and eight? It's pretty. It's like when O lines block themselves. (laughs) But I digress. But, uh,. I mean, do I think are, are there kids committed currently to FSU who have not gone public? Yes, I wholeheartedly know of at least one, um, and I'm sure there's others that have essentially give them the you know I'm coming here, coach kind of mm-hmm. coach speak. But the truth is, silent commitments are worthless. They're a waste of time. If a kid goes public, it matters. It may build momentum in the short term, but truthfully, the matter is like with the kid who I believe is committed to him currently but not public. I think he wants to take a couple visits, see a couple of schools. He has a short list of schools he likes, and he wants to, you know, evaluate them properly. Which and then Florida State go, probably appreciates yeah, that too. So, like that's a business. So I think savvy he, move. he's made it clear to the staff he wants to come here. He continues to show up on campus. He's a regular with them. Communication is good. But FSU's opinion of him, if he's committed or not committed, doesn't change. They're going to recruit him. You know, to the end, mm-hmm. you, a kid can commit to you. You don't stop recruiting him. You have to right, recruit and him. We always, and we talk about how commitment verbal commitments are worthless the only thing more worthless than a verbal commitment is a silent commitment yeah i mean look Uh, at robert cooper is a good example robert cooper is about as solid committed as as a kid gets these days he's still talking to bama he's not going to tell bama no they're not gonna you know quit recruiting him which they love him yeah so they're going to continue to pursue him he's going to stay firm to fsu he may end up taking a visit to bama they'll probably get a point where it's a little bit of a nut cracking time where you got to figure out you know do we need to be worried about this kid or what's going on? But that's why you maintain a relationship. So when you have to have that very serious conversation of, hey, Robert, we don't want you going to Tuscaloosa, stick with us, and you hope he shows up on your campus that weekend instead of going to see Nick Saban, mm-hmm. it happens. So like, and that's not a knock on Robert. I think Robert's a very forthcoming yeah. kid. I think he's very honest. He's not hid the fact that Bama stays involved with him, and he's somewhat listening. But he's solid to as you. Mm-hmm. But that's just the way recruiting works now. You silence are worthless. Verbals are generally almost worthless mm-hmm. to a degree. Like it, it's great to look on paper that FSU has a number six class in the nation and has thirteen commitments. But all of it doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot till ink dries on paper or mm-hmm. the kid steps on campus permanently. And we're not the only ones say, you know that feel this way. The the staff feels the same way. They're not. If a kid tells them, "Hey, coach, I'm coming," I mean, they're going to be like. Oh, that's great. We love it. You know, but in the back of their minds, they know too. Well, why hasn't he gone public with it? You know, like they, they understand that going public, at least there's a little bit more accountability 
in in making a pledge when you go public because you've just let thousands of fans know your decision and we all know that that doesn't necessarily lock anybody in but yeah you know the, the coaches don't put a whole lot of stock into kids and it does happen it's not to say that there's never a kid or multiple times that a kid will say hey coach I'm coming and I'm going to announce in the summer you know the coaches say great and they move on and if it happens it happens yeah you you know you We've seen it plenty. They had two quarterbacks committed last year, and they weren't entirely done at that position. They still kept up communication with some other kids. You, you, recruiting is all about having the backup plan to the backup plan and being prepared for any situation playing out in any which manner. So commitments don't alter the way you recruit. Mm-hmm. You, you have a board. You stick to it. You recruit it. You hope you get the best on that board at the top of your list. And, you know, if they're faithful to you, you're usually more faithful to them. But it doesn't result in, you know, you get player A and you just start stop talking B through Z. Mm-hmm. You 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 handle it, you know. Coaches have to recruit to the final moment. So the coaches are on the phone with kids the morning of National Signing Day. And some of them will be long-time commitments. And some of them will be kids that are trying to flip at the last second. And it's every which type. You just got to recruit every kid the same way. You don't treat a kid differently because he gives you his word or says something. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's exclusions to that. There's kids who do truly shut it down, who are done with it. DeKalen Brooks last year is a good example. You know, when he committed, it was done. He was done. But he's a legacy. He, he's the exception, yeah, not the rule. You don't get that often. You guys have gotten very philosophical almost the exact same time where I had to leave and go get my hair cut. It looks like a bowl cut right now. It's kind of mushroomy. It's weird. It's the summertime. Josh's hair looks really good, although not, well, not anymore. He just messed with it. He looked really good with the hat hair. Chris just yeah, buzzed in because it's pretty short. Like two hours, so uh, hopefully I can do something with this. Oh, Mister, I gotta go on TV. But anyways, guys, we had other stuff we wanted to get uh, get in and talk about, but I do have to go uh, go get my uh, haircut buzzed for the summertime here. So uh, we will talk about Josh's visit to IMG Academy, a uh, big time visitor kind of coming coming down the road or stretch, and a couple other things next week. So uh, thanks for joining uh, the Knowles Twenty Four Seven Podcast uh, Recruiting Edition. I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks uh, for both Chris Nee and Josh Newberg for joining me today. We'll talk to you guys later.